Thank I'm you. so glad you're here. Love you, buddy. <laughs> Bring it. So this morning, we're going to uh, dive in um, to the text to look at the gift of prophecy, but also some of the other gifts, because the, the truth about spiritual gifts is that they start to play with each other. And so if you want to uh, dissect where one starts and the other, you know, what's happening, sometimes you have two of the gifts happening at the same time. And so that's, uh, you know, so a word of knowledge can then lead to prophecy. Word of knowledge can lead to healing. Uh, the gift of faith can lead you into um, prophesying or, or something else like that. So it's kind of hard to dissect them all. So we'll do, um, we'll, 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 um, we'll, we'll look at some of them together. But let's start in Romans 12 which I think is just so exciting when we look at the gifts because um, it's um, sometimes we get thinking the wrong, get the wrong mindset when it comes to the gifts, especially uh, the revelatory gifts, which we'll, we'll come to. We know that there are, um, there's a distinction, isn't there, between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't see the fruit of the Spirit at work in the life of a Christian, they're in trouble. Right? I mean, because we're not born with the fruit of the Spirit. It's gotta, it, it grows in us as we follow Jesus and live lives of obedience, submission to Him. But if we don't see the gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, we're in luck because all we have to do is ask. Because the gifts are all about the giver, and the giver gives us the gifts that we might share His heart, the heart of the Father, with a world in need. Um, and so the question is, and well, what do we do? How do we operate in the gifts? Um, let me start with a couple of stories. I told you um, about an uncle of mine who was uh, the only one in the family for a long time who was considered to be um, eccentric. And eccentric, I think, was probably because he was uh, someone who acted in ways that you didn't expect an Anglican priest to act. And I remember the, the, uh, the night or the day when I came home from school and uh, heard my grandmother who was visiting with us and my parents talking about what Uncle Earl had done. And he and his wife, he'd done a lot of crazy stuff, um, but he and his wife uh, did not have children, and he was he just happened to have a knack at investing money. And so he'd, he'd amassed quite an amazing portfolio, and had a dream one night where the Lord told him to liquidate his assets and buy a house, and gave him the address for the house. And so Uncle Earl uh, did... Um, an amazing... We woke up the next day, went to the bank, liquidated his assets, bought the house. And uh, didn't, uh, got it all ready, furnished it, fixed it up, and did nothing else. Because the Lord didn't tell him to do anything else, so he just bought the house and got it ready. And uh, a month later, in the driving rain, they lived in Sussex, uh, New Brunswick, which is unremarkable, except that it's, um, it's a train town, so the train comes into Sussex and then diverts, and other would go to the south of the province, or would go to Halifax, Nova Scotia, it was a big port. And um, all trains headed to Montreal would go that way and vice versa, Montreal being the big, a big city in, in um, eastern Canada. And uh, there's a knock at the door at 11 o'clock at night, which is, you know, the train would come in at like 10.45. And so there's a knock at the door at 11 o'clock at night. And uh, Uncle Earl opens the door, and there's a woman there with three children. And it's clear that she'd been beaten with an inch of her life. And um, she says to Uncle Earl, I'm so sorry to bother you. I hear you're the, you're the priest. Um, my children and I have escaped from an abusive husband. We went to the train station. We bought a ticket to the furthest place we could afford, and here we are. And he just turned, picked up the keys, and he said, Madam, I've been waiting for you. Walked him down the street, around the corner to the house, opened them up, gave him the keys, says, here you are. And there's, she said, you know, it's so interesting. We tried to get away a month ago, but he found us and pulled us off the train. And so we had to wait, and we're here now. Amazing. You know, I mean, that kind of obedience is just incredible. And he was like that. He would do crazy stuff, which makes people nervous, and rightfully so, because, you know, you shouldn't liquidate all your assets every day and invest in the kingdom unless what Jesus says about storing up treasures in heaven is literally true. And then, anyway, um, <laughs> that's meddling, isn't it? Um, so that, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's that ability to catch something from the Lord, 
Well, that was, was did, did Uncle Earl prophesy? No, but what he did was prophetic because he had a redemptive solution to a problem presented to him. And because he'd obeyed the Lord, he had, he had it all lined up. Um, I was walking to church. When I lived in London, I had a five-minute walk to church, which was great, but I was always late. So it was kind of like trying to... It's downhill and then up. And uh, I was going to church one morning. It was 8 in the morning. The service was at 9, and I was teaching on healing. And uh, I was, you know, running late, so I've got everything. I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say. And I see this woman limping up on the other side of the road up the street. Because, you know, if we think of prophecy, well, how do we, you know, there's the chat piece, you know, talking to the Lord about, you know, something. Then there's what do we catch from him, and then how do we deliver it? So I'm walking down, and I see the woman, and I just have the sense the Lord just kind of, it's that, is it the Lord, or is it just me? It's probably just me, so I'll keep walking. And the sense I had was the Lord say, go tell her I love her. And I said, yeah, it's probably just me. Um, anyone ever have that? Um, that was kind of probably saying, that couldn't be God. Why would God want me to go tell a stranger that he loves her? So, you know, so I do what... I do what I normally do. I walk past, and then I thought, oh, hang on. I would never have that thought. So I turn around, cross the street, and I'm walking up the hill behind her, and I thought, how weird is it, would it be, to have someone approach you from behind at 8 o'clock in the morning saying, excuse me, the Lord loves you. So I, I walk past her, so that's the second time. And then I thought, oh, come on, Larley, get a grip. And I turn around, and she's disappeared. And she didn't really disappear. She went into the grocery store. It was a small little metro grocery store, you know, crammed in. And uh, so I go in, <laughs> I'm looking for her in the grocery store, and I found her in the meat department. And as I found her in the meat department, I said, there you are! And she's like startled. And, um, and uh, I said, I'm Dave, um, I, I work at the church down the road, and how are you? And she says, fine. And like the attendant at the grocery store is kind of like, this is unusual for 8 in the morning. And uh, I said, um, the Lord just prompted me to, uh, to come and tell you he loves you and maybe pray for you and have you got a problem with your hip and I thought I'd had a word of knowledge about her hip and she says oh that's that's amazing I'd love prayer um I have no problem with my hip the pro- I said I saw you limping he said yeah my leg was amputated and the prosthetic doesn't fit very well I'm like oh. <laughs> you know heard that one wrong okay well could I pray for you and she said I'd love that and uh, I always teach people that if you're praying for people you don't know what they believe and you're in public always keep your eyes open because you never know what's going to happen <laughs> And so I closed my, but because she, you know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't sure. I'd heard stories about people's limbs growing back, and I just wasn't prepared to watch that. I mean, because I faint at the sight of blood, and I just didn't want the Lord to weird me out, pass me out, and then she's got a new leg, and I'm not there for the glory. So I closed my eyes as tightly as I could, and her name was Heidi, and I said, Lord, thank you that you love Heidi. Um, ask that you pour out your goodness into her, that she would know your love, and that you would heal her. I'm kind of like, and she's still standing there. But as I opened my eyes, she was, she had tears just flooding down. And I said, how's your leg? She said, oh, oh, that's, uh, it's still the same. I said, well, what's happening? He said, no one has ever done that for me. He said, I grew up in Belfast. I grew up where people killed each other in the name of faith. And when you prayed for me, I just realized that Jesus is different. And I felt something come into me, and it's love. I said, yeah. And I'd love to say that she then came to our church and was a member, but, you know, I saw her maybe twice. She's Catholic, and I don't really know what happened. I knew that, I know that, despite the fact that I was remedial in my obedience, and that I I got the word wrong, and that everything about what I I thought I was doing was slightly crash and burn, the end result was, is that she felt loved. And I think that's the key, is that the gifts of the, of the uh, Spirit are, are really gifts of the new covenant. And they're gifts to make the uh, heart of God known. Uh, I said to you last night, I grew up in northern New Brunswick in a French, in a French community. Um, I learned to swear in French first, which means that my mother tongue is French. I sometimes still dream in French. I went to French school. The mother tongue of the Holy Spirit is encouragement. Encouragement is always the guiding line. And how do we know this? Well, let me give you, uh, uh, let's turn to Romans 12 and just point this out to you as we get started this morning. 
from Romans 12, we've had it read to us already, but from Romans 12, um, uh, verse 6, talks about the gifts of grace, and uh, which I love, since we're in grace, Northridge. You see that? I mean, I think that's great, you know. We're here, we're talking about gifts of grace, and the name of the church is grace. Anyway, okay. I just, that just tickled me. Um, uh, verse 6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesy and let him use it to the proportion of his, to his faith. Um, and that's from the NIV. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes we can think of faith as an ethereal substance that we amass in our hands. And depending on how full of faith I feel, I ought to act. And the reading of the Greek is not like that at all. Gordon Fee does an amazing handling of the text. And by using, by diving into the... Um, the grammar that's used here, the force of this is, is that we have different gifts according um, to the grace given to us, according to the means by which we receive the gospel. So something about conversion that plays in. And if a person's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Which means that the way that, you, that the, the gift of prophecy is meant to be used is not in a, in, according to some kind of amount that you have amassed. But if it's in, it's in proportion to the faith that you've received, how, what did coming, becoming a Christian do to you? What freedom did you find in becoming a Christian? Some of us can remember that. Some of us, you know, we can't remember. We've always felt like we've always been a Christian, all that kind of stuff. But what the force of the, the gift is here is that um, if the gift of yours is prophecy, you need to use it in proportion to your faith, which means that in relation to the, 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 the salvation that you've received, which means that you don't have to grow a beard, though beards are um, the glory of a man is, is his beard, according to Proverbs, right? Um, you don't have to wear Crocs, but you can, or sandals. <laughs> Uh, you don't have to use King James language unless that's the only Bible you read. Um, you don't have to try to amp yourself up or become a caricature of, of some idea of what prophecy is. Instead, the gospel sets us free to no longer conform to the patterns of this world. And so when we use the gift, we're, not, we're, we're to be free and true to the people that the Lord has saved us to be. So all the pressure of trying to perform just, just is meant to go, and we're just meant to be his children seeking to hear and obey. So it's not about a substance, but rather it's according to the gospel which we've received. Mm-hmm. And so there's a gospel imperative, which means also gives us an idea of what the gift is for. The gift is to make him known. Now, to a point that was mentioned earlier, how, does, how, do, how can people hear from the Lord or catch something from God? Well, the most normative way is to read Scripture daily. How else? Well, through testimony, the Word made flesh. Uh, how else? Well, through prayer. How else? Through uh, fellowship, by having being in community and having people... Uh, just being around and encouraging you in your faith. And, and actually what you find is, is that the, the, the Lord has an incredible amount of ways to communicate to his people. Prophecy is only one of them. But it's a gift. And it's a gift of revelation, which seeks to reveal the Father by revealing inspired words supernaturally. Um, and so that's why I think um, that bit about getting revelation and interpretation to the, to the question earlier is that we can catch something from the Lord and then when we're trying to see well what does he mean by this um, the reason why we can sometimes go wrong is that our emotions can, can cloud it our um, preconceived ideas can, can help. One of the challenges we're working through at the moment at All Saints is that we have a refugee ministry and have we, when, in, in a Bible study we have in the same room doesn't happen ever. We have Persians and Arabs together and they're taught to hate each other. In fact, they're taught to kill each other. And, um, and we have eight Persians and four Arabs. And 
they love each other. It's the most, it's only, you know, it's the counter narrative of the kingdom. Um, but they have some pretty strong preconceived ideas indoctrinated into them by their culture and what they've learned all their lives that they're having to unlearn. And in the same way with us, um, it may not be that extreme, but there are things the Lord is seeking to deprogram that we've inherited from the culture so that we can start to see his perspective from the kingdom, right? Um, a classic one for us uh, in Dallas at the moment in a capital campaign is... Um, Money. There's a narrative in our culture about money. There's a narrative in the kingdom about money. And just trying to help people through that. Um, and so the good news is, is that even if a word, if the Lord is seeking to speak to someone about something, communicate to them with something, if the word is misinterpreted and given to them faulty, then the Lord will just communicate to them via the scripture reading or by somebody else. And so he's just got a plethora of ways to do that. Well, um, let's, so that's, that, 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 that's kind of the normative way. The challenge is, though, as we talked about last night, is sometimes um, how the Lord communicates to us is overly familiar because he uses things in our imagination, or um, we just have other, we have other things going on in our um, lives that we're more attuned to. And it's about dialing those other uh, voices down and turning his up. Or it's like moving from uh, a normal radio to satellite radio, right? You don't have to turn the band. It's just press the button and you're tuned in right away to, you know, um, Margaritaville or whatever it is. Um, and so to learn that, there, there are a couple of ways, there are a couple of things that we, 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 we do. There are a couple of exercises we can do. We're going to do one in a moment. And just to set this up, we did this a month, uh, two months ago uh, at All Saints. And... Um, um, this is what the exercise is going to be. You're all invited to take part. Uh, you don't have to. If you want to just observe, that's fine. But um, it's not so much about getting it right, but uh, giving it a shot, about taking a small step out of your comfort zone. And what, what the exercise is, is we're going to divide. I'm going to divide you into uh, two groups. I'm going to have one group line up. And the, the um, disclaimer here is that the, the exercise may be perfectly designed that because of the way you're wired, it's not going to work. And I apologize for that, but I'm going to ask you just to take the step out, just to trust Matt and his trust in me for this. Um, and so you're in two groups, and the first group is going to line up a bit of space apart, and uh, you're going to close your eyes when I say. And then the second group is going to come up, and everybody in the second group is going to present themselves in front of another person. And at the point in time, you're just going to tap them on, tap group number one on their shoulder. And without opening their eyes, they're going to ask the Lord for a word of encouragement for you. So whatever you get, as long as it's encouraging, builds up, is in line with scripture, not like you're a black hole and you suck the life out of everything, which happened to me the first time. Um, so it's got to be edifying, encouraging, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're going to offer it without opening your eyes. And then afterwards, open your eyes and see who the person was. Because sometimes our ability to see and all the uh, information that we get from our eyes can sometimes keep us from, um, from getting something from the Lord. So we did this a few months ago, and the most powerful word was from a guy named... I say it's powerful because uh, the person he gave it to started to cry, and we went through a packet of tissues. Um, so that, that, that's what I mean by that. Um, he didn't think he had anything from the Lord. And he was the last one to give it. And all he had was the song going through his mind that he heard on the radio. And so um, I said, if you're waiting, because I could see that he was waiting, I know him really well. I said, if you're waiting and you think you have something and you think it's unlikely, give it anyway. And so he gave it. And he, he spoke out the lyrics of the song, which isn't a Christian song. Um, it's a top 40 but the words of the song that were going through his head were all about fear. And I can't remember the name of the song. Anyway, he, so he speaks it over this person. He doesn't know who they are. And she begins to cry because for the last two weeks, she's been wrestling with fear and been seeking the Lord to help her overcome it. And um, anyway, the Lord used the lyrics of a song and just broke a spirit of fear over her in a really powerful way. So the Lord can use all kinds of things for us to communicate to us when we're seeking to catch something for somebody else. 
And, um, and so when we do this exercise in a moment, uh, be aware of, uh, it might be something from TV that you watched last night or this morning. It may be something you read. It may be, um, uh, we had someone, we had these two girls, amazing. Um, they're sisters, and somehow the Lord gave them the same prophetic word for a married couple getting married. And um, they both at this wedding reception, and I just happened to be there, so I thought, eavesdropping is a great way to get stories if you're a preacher. <laughs> right? So my best illustrations come from eavesdropping. Well, like go into a restaurant where like everyone's sat over here and we're by the window, and I'll say, can we, can we sit over there? You know? <laughs> These two girls, aged nine and eight, both go up to the married couple and say, the Lord just wants you to know that he sees a lot of yellow. I'm like, this is interesting. And uh, yeah, and yellow means hope. And the Lord's going to use, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to contradict a nine and eight-year-old who are prophesying, right? Moses said, I wish that all would prophesy. So I'm just, I'm just watching. Say, yeah, and eight, yeah, hope, yellow is the color of hope. And the Lord's going to use your marriage to uh, help people discover hope again and um, and he's going to fill your home with hope and you're going to be hope filled and people are going to come to supper and you're going to spend time around the ta- they're going to spend time around your table and they're going to leave filled with hope his hope I was like that's from a nine and eight year old and it started with the color yellow I mean I, I've never studied the colors of the scriptures but I it seemed to work, right? I mean, sometimes the word is not that, you know, just not as important. But anyway, whether it's true or not, I don't know. But it really, really spoke to the couple and became something that's key to who they are. So I, we're going to number you off in one and two. And um, if you want to sit out, that's absolutely fine. Now's a great time if you feel uncomfortable to go to the bathroom. Um, we'll call you back when it's time. It's a great time to go get a cup of coffee, great coffee here. Um, but uh, I just encourage you to take a step out in this because it's, it's, uh, we're going to do another exercise later that's very different. But this, uh, this will be a great way to, to launch in. So one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Grimers at the back, you good? Okay, Karen, you're two. One, two, one, Aiden, you're two. You got it? Great. Michael, do you want to play? I love playing. Okay. Aiden, what was your number? Two. Okay, you're a one. I'm a one. You're a one. Okay. So if I could have all of the ones go to the back and form a line. I love when couples sit together when we do this because it means that, you know, you break it up a little bit. Yeah. So just stand in line and give yourself some space. One. That's right. I have short term memory. That's fine. And spread out a bit, and if, if there isn't enough room, you can kind of come up the, the side aisles. So you want to be uh, kind of shoulder arm lengths apart, so just do this and spread out. That's it, perfect. Great. So number one, what's going to happen is, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And some, an individual from group two is going to come up, they're going to tap you on the shoulder, and without opening your eyes... You're just going to be asking the Lord for something that will encourage them, okay? Um, Don't worry about um, as long as it's encouraging or you don't necessarily need the interpretation. If the Lord gives you something pictorial, just offer that. Uh, If he gives you like a sense or a verse of scripture, offer that. Whatever comes, because we're going to play a game where we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us, and then we're going to presume that whatever comes is him speaking, okay? So... um, So as long as it's encouraging, grace-filled, building up, that'll be fantastic. Okay, number twos, your job is to choose someone uh, who's going to have their eyes closed in the moment and just tap them on the shoulder. And once you tap them on the shoulder, just to receive. Okay, now, um, and they're going to offer it to you, and they just kind of 
see, see what comes, okay? Go from there. So pretty, pretty easy. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you promised to give good gifts to your children. We ask now that you'd use this exercise for your glory and say, come Holy Spirit. Would you well up within us? Would you come upon us? Would you fill us afresh with a sense of your presence? That we would know you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, number ones, close your eyes and, and start asking the Lord. Number twos, uh, feel free to go on up and tap someone on the shoulder and uh, see what they have for you. Let's, uh, let's, when you're finished, take a seat. No hurry. Carry on. So how was, so let's hear some feedback. How was that? Did, is there anyone in our midst that didn't get anything? That you waited and didn't get anything? Everybody got something? Fantastic. Um, those of you, you've all received something. Was it encouraging? When you opened your eyes to see who you had the word for, were you surprised? <laughs> let's hear some, some, of the, some of the surprises. Isn't that an issue? It's funny how that happens, isn't it? Because your eyes are closed, and I don't understand it, and it's by observation. I don't know how to teach from, from the text. But one thing I've observed is, is that sometimes when you take um, sight out of it, you can sometimes get a sense of someone's spiritual stature, which isn't always related to their physical size, Right? Um, David was the smallest, the ruddiest of the of the brothers. You know, he was the last choice, and yet he made such an impression on the Lord that when the Lord brought his son into the world, he named him after David. So Jesus becomes son of David. Isn't that amazing? When I started speaking to her about her radiant face, <clears throat> uh, once I started opening my mouth, it's kind of like my heart opened up. Wow. And I said things to her that, in a different context, I would feel weird saying to her. But, but I think it was a blessing. <laughs> so, Who received that? I said, when he said my name, I thought, wow. Yeah. Do, 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 yeah. Awesome. Well done. Yes. A couple of things real quick. One is I, I, I knew I was supposed to go to Michael specifically. And, um, and what he said, I just wrote down some of the things he said. Um, so really encouraging. And the other thing I was just thinking about is Michael and I don't know each other very well, but just experiencing that together. It's incredible, isn't it, how the Lord does that? And because He's trying to really build community, and it's a great way to do that. Yes, ma'am. Well, the, the person who got the word from me said, I, "This is ridiculous that I'm, I'm hearing dogs." I'm just laughing inside. She said, "You know, they're so playful." Well, we've just moved, and we have my daughter's dog. And that dog is getting me out to walk around downtown. It's like a, I've, had, I've enjoyed so much that um, sense of just being with people more. We just live in um, That was just very poignant. 
and yet she's like, silly, you know, it's not. That's awesome. Yeah. Michael. Yeah, it's, I guess the cool part to me is how when God speaks, there's so many different levels that it can be on. And I think sometimes we look at it as if it's one thing. Like, Lauren, she, I went to her, and she had a picture of like a house at night. To have like light coming out, kind of like like a beacon, I think. And there's the house full of joy, full of peace, safety, and and just on so many levels. Because growing up, I didn't, we didn't really have a home. <clears throat> Sorry. And so like that's all I ever desired. Just appreciate. Is to happen. And so it was just spoke to kind of a life that God is doing and redeeming. And I didn't even really know to ask because I'm an Indian. I'm spiritual. To go, Lord, I know what I need. I'd say quirky. Uh, <laughs> thank you, guys. You're sweet. I am. Like, on that level, so it kind of spoke to like the desire that I have. And then, that's all Karen and I have ever wanted for our family is to be a house of joy and safety. So it's like, one, but it's like one word that has so many different applications. It's like this word is life. Yeah. You know, so I think it was just, and I want to affirm that because that spoke just to me personally, but also to Karen and I and our family. That's all we ever wanted is for our kids the, the, the joy and love and peace and all that for our family. And I know through it in that that's all I desire as a kid that So anyway, it was just it was just so cool how God uses one word but it touches so many different parts. Yeah. Lauren, did you know that about Michael? That he'd always wanted a cozy home? No. Isn't that amazing? He knows. It's, uh, you know, if we look at Jesus as our model, and we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 12 here in a moment, um, what you've just all experienced, if I could give a little bit of um, thing, is you've just acted out on this blend that we're given. There's, with, when using the gifts of the Spirit, there's this incredible blend between our responsibility and the sovereignty of God. Uh, and so it's a blend of our responsibility, which is to obey, and his sovereignty. And we see this in Jesus. Jesus is both fully human <clears throat> and fully divine at the same time. And so the supernatural then of what you just experienced is the fact that God is super. You know, he, it's his super... It's his... His ability, God is super, and it's our natural. And so we have to do something. We have to act. <clears throat> Forgive me. We have to act, step out, trusting that it's Him who will provide what it is we're seeking to do. So it's, it's kind of that, the way I love seeing this idea of this, this blend. And it's the blend that was given to us at, our, at the point of our salvation. Right? It's, it's not... Um, and often it, all it requires is a, is a bit of activation, which is kind of what we've been doing this morning. Some of you are used to this, some of you not so much. And so it's just that sense of as we come together, more more, more is, is pulled out. So if we just turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, um, and um, I don't know San Antonio very well. I know Dallas a bit better. Dallas is a city full of persuasive words. We've got Dallas Theological Seminary, we've got SMU, we've got Perkins Seminary, we've got uh, a lot of really intelligent people here, which I'm sure you have here at San Antonio. But Paul, in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, says, I did not come to you with persuasive words, but I came with a demonstration of God's power. And that's what's fascinating to me. It doesn't mean that you can't be intelligent and use this. It actually means that regardless of who you are or 
as you are in him, saved by him by grace, he will give you the power needed to do what he asks of you. So it's that wonderful blend of our responsibility and the Lord's sovereignty. But it does require something of us to do, which is to step out, which is why I had you all step out, take a small baby step. What we see, though, in uh, 1 Corinthians, a lot of you will know the background of this. Paul is addressing people who are former polytheists. So they had a, a, a worldview that had, yes, 1 Corinthians 12. Okay, just, just, just generally, yeah, we're going to dive in in a moment. He's addressing um, polytheists, and uh, the polytheistic world they lived in is that uh, depending on how powerful your God is, you'd always boast in how greater your God is than your neighbor's because of the way that your God is blessing you. And so you're always in competition with whose God is greater. So Paul's going to address this to show that actually there's um, now concerning verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, or first. First Corinthians chapter 12. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. And so he's saying that there's one Spirit... But he manifests himself differently amongst us, and we're not meant to compete. We're not meant to compete or think that because one has one gift, the other has the other gift. That means that there's first and second class Christians. We all all have the same value. We just, in the body, have different functions. But the value is the same. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works of them all. Of them in all men. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, in verse 7. That is possibly one of the most exciting verses, I think, in this letter. To each one, each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the gifts of the Spirit are given for the common good. And who are the gifts of the Spirit given to you? Each one. So the mindset we're trying to shift in Dallas, which you probably don't have to deal with here, is that when people come to church, the Lord has something inside of them to bless somebody when they meet together. And so that every time we meet, when I walk into church, there is something that the Lord has given me to bless, encourage, and strengthen the heart of another. And it's trying to move uh, church culture in Dallas away from reception mode or entertainment mode to actually, I'm an active participant in the kingdom of God when I meet in my worshiping community. It's just a completely, I mean, it's hard to do in a megachurch. We have so many, I don't know if it's like that here, but, you know, we've got, you know, six megachurches in Dallas that have at least 10,000 each, right? So you get people coming from that and thinking... You know, entertain me to thinking. No, no, you've got something. You've got a vital role to play, and your participation, your presence in our midst, is actually necessary because you have something that will enable someone to encounter God's love that without you here wouldn't happen. So all of a sudden, we get to where we were last night. We're we're we're, we're talking about the authority that we have the righteousness that we have because of Christ and the importance of having people in the midst of each one of us knowing this so that his kingdom can increase. Verse 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit, verse 8, the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The gifts tell us about the giver. 
So if the gifts tell us about the giver and they're not primarily about us, what happens if we ask for a gift and we don't get it? Okay, that's a question that we all, all, we're going to all have to parse that text. Does it mean that he, he's not a good God who doesn't want to give this to me? Well, no, because the scriptures tell us that he's a good God. Jesus tells us that he's good. Another way to sum up the resurrection is to say that Jesus took upon himself my sin, died in my place, so that I would be free and liberated to receive all of the goodness of God that was only really on offer to Jesus so that his goodness could fill me and not just fill me, but then move through me. So if God, we ask for a gift and the Lord doesn't give us the gift, one thing's not happening. And the one thing that is not happening is that he suddenly doesn't like us or, he said, or there's something okay so that's not happening because we know that he's good and he loves us and he's sent his died, son to die for us and he seeks to bless us so then what, what could be going on first thing that could be going on is that he knows us so well that he has something that as friends of mine from Shreveport would say he has something that's more better you know, it's more better. You really want this gift? I have something that's more better, you know, more better for you. Second thing is, we could be asking for the gift, but in order for that gift to be activated, we have to come alongside somebody else who's already operating in that gift. Sometimes with the gifts, they have to be caught as much as taught. So today, you've caught something, right? And as much as you can teach, because you've got great teachers in your midst, there's something about catching as well as being taught. We, on the Alpha course, which we do, um, this actually is going to be my 41st Alpha course. I did the math. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing it for a while. Um, somewhere in 2009, we were, uh, did the Holy Spirit retreat, which is great. And we, and there's a Bible study we do with people halfway through. And we teach them all about the gift of tongues because of the controversy uh, that, that is there around tongues. And we forgot to talk about some of the other gifts, which like the gift of prophecy. And so what happened was these, uh, all of a sudden we, we have the time, we invite the Holy Spirit to come, we pray for people. And then afterwards we have, go to supper, and then we have like a variety show in the evening and time to just hang out. And two, <laughs> Sophie and Mary disappeared. And I finished up and I said, I wonder what happened to Sophie and Mary. And I knew where they were staying in their room. So I went up and I knocked on the door. I said, are you guys in there? And I tried to open the door and it was barricaded. They like moved all of the furniture in the room against the door. So I kind of talked them, talked myself in. And I said, ladies, what happened? And Sophie says, you didn't tell us that you're all mind readers. I said, what? I said, yeah. Both of us realized that when we were prayed for, the person praying for us, two different people, knew things about us that we've not told anything, anyone. You, didn't t- you lied to us. You brought us here, and you're mind readers, and you've known everything we've thought since we got here. I was like, no, that's something else. And they're like, really? He says, yeah, we're not mind readers at all. And I, I opened up to 1 Corinthians 12, and I explained to them what the gift of prophecy was. And explain to them why the Lord would want to give a stranger supernatural revelation of something that's going on in their life so they could realize that he's a loving God who wants them to know him and lead them to him. And once they said, they're like, oh. And there and then they both knelt down and gave those lives to Jesus. So the gifts, you know, if you've been in the church for a while, like some of you have, you can, we could forget that these gifts are like, are the power tools of the kingdom. I love that scene. My boys are, um, we're working through the, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, and they love that scene. We watch it over and over again when Father Christmas shows up. And he gives the four siblings the tools that they'll need. 
you know, and, and it's, it's just so exciting, isn't it? And we can forget that these gifts are power tools. Look at the list again uh, in verse 8, because we have uh, nine gifts here. And the gifts that we have, we have uh, through the Spirit, they're, they're all through the same Spirit. We have the message of wisdom, the message of knowledge and, uh, by the same Spirit. We have faith, we have healing, we have miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, and uh, different tongues and the interpretation of tongues. We have three gifts of power, we have three gifts of speech, and three gifts of revelation. And they're powerful. They're powerful. And whenever we use the gifts, what um, the priority always has to be on the pastoral. If you allow pastoral concern to govern how the gifts are used, you'll be fine. If you focus on the power that these gifts have and seek to use them so that the power of God may be put on display, that's when uh, messes are made and things go wrong. But if you allow pastor, your pastoral disposition for the person in front of you to guide you in how these gifts are to be used, you'll be fine. It may not be all fireworks and exciting, but I'm not quite sure that's always meant to be there. There's plenty of other fireworks that come and plenty of other excitement that comes um, in other parts of the kingdom. But for these, when we use the, these gifts, whether it's the, the, um, the miraculous powers or healing or faith or wisdom or discernment, if we use them with the pastoral as our guiding light, we'll be fine. Look down with me in verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Another way to translate this is to say that we are to eagerly desire, can be translated that we are after the red hot pursuit of what would the red-hot pursuit of the greater gifts look like? What would it look like to engage in the red-hot burning pursuit of greater gifts? 1 Corinthians 14 says the same thing. Verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. He's elevating the gift of prophecy over the other gifts because it is the only gift that is described as the one that can build up the entire congregation. And he, and he juxtaposes it to tongues because tongues is the, gift, the only gift given that edifies the individual. And then he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, or sorry, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all, and, uh, and yet still desire, engage in the red hot pers- uh, pursuit of the gift of prophecy. But it's interesting, isn't it? If you look at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. And what we have just that precedes this, if you look up in verse 8 of chapter 13, or verse 4, actually, you have, you know, a reading that most people have at their weddings, which we offer to the bride and groom as good advice, which isn't the, the original context for this. You've got to remember that the apostle Paul murdered Christians legally, right? So he did these things and would never face um, charges for it. But in the midst of being someone who was persecuting followers of the way, he encounters Jesus. And he records what his encounter with Jesus is is like in verse 4. So verse 4 says, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it is not rude. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I am convinced that when Paul is writing this, you could say Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, he does not envy, he does not boast, he is not proud, Jesus is not rude, he's not self-seeking, he's not easily angered, Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. 
Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. If that's what we're seeking, if Jesus, as described in these four verses, is what we are longing for people to encounter, then the red-hot pursuit of the greater gift will seek, will make that known. And allowing him to be the super part of the equation, if we are the natural part of the equation, will lead to the most glorious things happening. The gift of prophecy is a special ability. Has a way of, the scriptures tell us, of leading someone who does not know the Lord to a place of conversion. Which begs the question, what happens if you're praying for someone and the Lord gives you supernatural insight to their sin? What do you do if someone gives you super... What do you do if the Lord, or somehow you discern that someone's in a sin pattern? What do you do? Well, we've all watched, I've certainly watched enough uh, prophets on TV to see how it's not to be done, you know, where you tell the whole crowd of thousands that uh, you're a sinner and you've done this, this, and this, and this, but the Lord wants this to happen. You know, I mean, that's not patient. (laughs) That's not kind. If the Lord somehow gives you insight into what the person's been up to, and you tell them that you know what they've been up to, all they know is that you know they're a sinner, and that doesn't help them at all. Right? So how do we prophesy? How do we tell of the wonders of God when we're praying like you've just been praying? How do we make love known? How do we follow the way of love and share it? I was in a, we just finished the Holy Spirit retreat on Alpha some years ago. And uh, we had a guy who wasn't in my group. He was in my wife Rachel's group. And uh, I didn't know a thing about him. And at the end of the service, we, we, uh, before the service in our pre-service prayer meeting, we asked the Lord for words of knowledge. And uh, we had a word, a prophetic word, that there was going to be uh, someone there that the Lord uh, sees as someone with, with as, a, as a man of integrity that was going to um, be a real influence for good in the kingdom. Great word, right? Absolutely great word. What we didn't know is that there was someone on, on the Alpha Course, and we all come to, we were coming to church that evening as an Alpha Course together. And he'd gone through Alpha. He'd gone through, uh, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? Didn't experience a thing. Was convinced that uh, Jesus didn't want him. And so he said, I'll go to church. Then after that, I'm never going to a Christian thing again because I know that God doesn't want me. And um, he sat there, and the word is given. And the person who gives the word kind of goes into the gray area of the rules that we had because we don't like to identify individuals um, at a service because it's just kind of, what if it's wrong? What if it's embarrassing? All that kind of stuff. Anyway, and they point out to this person, I said, you at the back. Um, and he goes, me? He said, yeah, you. Um, the Lord sees you as a man of integrity. And the Lord is going to use you as a powerful force of good in his kingdom. And there and then, he just, he's converted. Because what nobody knew, even in his alpha group, they knew that he was an ex-offender. They knew that he did time for, um, I think it was larceny. And uh, since coming to faith in prison, his heart was that the Lord would enable him to become a new creation and be a man of integrity. And um, he'd never shared that with anyone. And the Lord had given that word before the pre-service prayer meeting and had shared it. And then he knew, he knew that God was calling him. And he gave his life. And just just the most incredible thing to see, a, a fresh start like that. It's, it's, it's an incredible uh, thing to do. So much of scriptures, do you know that there are 27% of the Bible is forthtelling? Not just foretelling, but foretelling. And foretelling, as I described last night, is telling of the wonders of God. That is calling out in the person that's in front of you something of the redemptive uh, potential in them. So an illustration. Matt, if I could borrow you for a moment. Uh, just stand where you are. Just there. Yeah. Or just, yeah, perfect. We're going to imagine for the sake of this illustration that this is Matt real time where he is right now, right? 
okay, in his life. His life probably started back here, conversion, and he's been taking steps of obedience and following Jesus, and this is where he is. The lectern represents when uh, the completed work of Jesus will be done in Matt when uh, he sees him face to face. Okay. Now, in order to understand this, yeah, well done, well done. And um, the thing is that our, the Lord God is not bound by time. Time is a result of the fall. Right? That's when death and decay came into the equation, and that's when time really began to, to affect them. So he sees things out of time. And the way he's looking at Matt is he's looking at Matt through Jesus, right? Because that's what we believe. He's looking at Matt through Jesus, and he's calling Matt towards uh, all that's required for him, for the completed work, for the work of Christ, His uh, our hope, Christ in me, the hope and glory so that Matt continues to take these steps forward so that on the day of Christ, it'll be, it'll be perfect, it'll be finished. So the Lord knows what Matt went, went through this morning at 7.30. The Lord knows what Matt's going to go through tomorrow, all that kind of stuff. And what the Lord does is to ensure that Matt keeps taking steps forward is that out, not bound by time, he gives prophetic revelation to people and speaks into Matt here so that Matt can keep taking steps here. So the word today was, you are a bright shining sun. That's awesome. So he takes a step forward. You know, and, and these, these prophetic words come in season and out of season to keep helping us just do the most a radical thing to do in this world, which is to keep trusting him. And that's really why the gift is given. Now, what if someone isn't a believer yet? Well, that's when things get exciting because they get to start the journey. And usually things, the waterworks turn up, can be slightly demonstrative. Sometimes things, people come into the kingdom and you just don't even notice. It's like, oh yeah, I just gave my life to Jesus. And there was like no fireworks, nothing to display. Sometimes, depending on what people have opened their lives up to, there are a few fireworks and you need a lot of tissues and take them into the back room and get them to stop screaming. And, you know, you'll see all that in due time, right? Um, but the big thing is, why does the Lord give us the gift of prophecy? Is to enable people to continue to take steps forward. Because life is hard. Bad things happen. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And our world is unforgiving. But he is not. He is not. And he's given the gift of prophecy to the body so that when we come into any situation, we have something to strengthen the hearts of the faithful. And thank you, Matt. Is that helpful? So follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Engage in the red hot pursuit of the greater gift. That doesn't mean the other gifts aren't as good. It shows that this one is given with the particular um, goal of strengthening everyone in their midst. I remember we were at a conference in the summer, and uh, my friend James, who we had, um, I had mentioned last night, um, who was in, who had just survived cancer. Um, so his, his family's in India. He's in London. He's got a, a second type of cancer. He's going through treatment. Uh, the body of Christ rallies. They bring the family back. We get the kids into the right school. We get them a house to live in. All this kind of stuff's amazing. It's happening. It's fantastic. That following summer, so it's September, we get to July, end of July. It doesn't matter how good God is and how amazing the community is. If a couple go through that kind of stuff, there's going to be things to work through. Okay. So, um, and they're just in survival mode. They're starting to come out of survival mode to start to say, okay, we need to start addressing things and, and, and you know, find the new normal. And we're at this meeting. And uh, there's this amazing Speaker, he's amazing just because he's um, so entertaining, and he's halfway, he's full flow, and stops. And I had saved a seat for James in the front row because I just think front row is amazing. Stretch out, you know. I never get to business class on an airplane, but in a church, business class is always open, right? You could get an upgrade right now. 
So I'm there in the front row, and I saved a seat for James and his wife Tiff. And full through, mid flow, he stops and he says, "You, yeah, you in the front. What's your name?" And he says, "James." And he says, he doesn't know him from Adam. And he says, you've just gone through the most difficult time. You have faced death and come through the other side. And the Lord says, now our whole church is sat behind him. So there's 150 members of the con- our congregation who have come on this, con- this conference. And we're all sat behind James. We've all helped James get there. And he says, you've just been to hell and back. You have looked death in the face, and you've come through victorious. And the thing, the burden on your heart is for your marriage. And the Lord says that he has it in hand. He's going to help you. So at which point, James falls to his knees, and he's weeping. The whole church is weeping. His wife storms out. And we're going to look at... You know, sometimes we have things for people and it's too much for them to bear. It's too much for them to bear. That's why I think the majority of stuff that we get, that the Lord enables us to catch from him is for intercession. It's for intercession. I'd say most of the stuff that when the Lord, I'm praying for someone, I get insight. It's just for me to be praying for them. And I would say three quarters of that I don't, I don't ever share. But amazing thing is the Lord does this thing, and, 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 you know, that prophetic word impacted the entire, our entire congregation. Their, their, their marriage came through the other side, it just, just the most incredible thing. But we have to be aware that sometimes a prophetic word in season can also be too much for them to bear. But the Holy Spirit always leads us into all truth, which we'll look at tomorrow. Um, and sometimes... You know, the eyesight's not a problem. Sometimes uh, when we're looking to catch from the Lord, it's, there's that thing of familiarity, that you're picking up on stuff you don't realize that in the natural, the Lord is starting to do stuff in the supernatural. So we're going to do another exercise to illustrate this. It's called, When I Look at You, I See. And it's, it's there to show us that sometimes um, what seems very natural has actually the Lord can come behind and really use to impact someone. So we teach our prayer teams, uh, and I'm sure you, you do here, to keep their eyes open when they pray. And especially on, on the Alpha Holy Spirit weekend. And uh, <laughs> my dear friend, Philip Harrington, who is now uh, a pastor of a church outside of London, he, uh, we had this, he had this guy in his group who was like five feet tall, a bricklayer. So he was like all muscle and, you know, just a really hardworking guy. And his life as he'd shared on, in the Alpha process. It's just nothing but chaos. And so um, we, we lay hands. It's time to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, Philip gets this word that the Lord's going to give him a life of peace. But Philip makes, and this guy's like hard like a rock. Like he's, no one's going to push him over. He just stood there and he's stout. He's kind of like really muscly and, you know, strongest man, competition winner. And uh, Philip just starts prophesying over him about the peace of the Lord. But Philip's made the mistake of closing his eyes. And this bricklayer just kind of goes, not even backwards or forwards, but to the side. Just the peace of the Lord hits him so strong. He just, like Jane Austen says, swoons. He just like <laughs> falls to the ground. <laughs> and like everybody feels it. And Philip's like, Oops. I said, well, get down there. Make sure he's okay, you know. I'm not sure we've got liability on this. And so anyway, the bricklayer was out for the whole night. Like we just put a blanket over him. Uh, that night, and we just, we, you know, we could talk to him because he was, he was, he was not unconscious. But we said, "Hey, do you want, do you want to come from? You know, we're going down for supper. Do you want?" He says, "Mate, there's so much peace here. I don't want to move. You know, it's just like he just wanted to stay in that place of peace. So he spent the whole night in the meeting room, uncomfortable as it was, just there. And he just, there was such a sense of the peace of the Lord which he'd never experienced before. He didn't want to change anything and move from it. And he was there the next morning." And like, when it was time to start, he was like, you know, when it was time to do some more of the teaching, he said, all right, I'll have a cup of tea now. And he kind of went down as, you know, but his life was utterly changed. And the, the word was peace. Amazing, isn't it? 
Uh, and sometimes when you get insight into what's going on in the person's life, the thing to say is not what you discern. Because we knew that this guy was, was, was like a lord of chaos. I mean, he was in a car accident every week almost, and all, just the most random stuff would happen. And so sometimes if you, what you discern from someone is negative, what the Lord is actually prompting you to do is to speak the opposite in. Which I find really exciting because, you know, in California, there are people every other day who are, want to pronounce judgment over California for whatever reason. They're prophesying earthquakes. And that doesn't interest me. But what interests me is people who prophesy in a way that will stop the earthquakes from happening. So friends of mine were at a church in somewhere in California. And um, during the worship, they had an artist up front who was painting, you know, just kind of painting as the worship was going. And the painting they were, she was painting was of a, of a wave coming towards land, like a tsunami-type wave. And, um, and facing the wave was a hand like this, stopping the wave. And um, anyway... Um, there was someone in the church who was working for, um, I can't remember the, uh, the department now, but the early warning system for a tidal wave had gone off. Um, and um, they, they stopped and they prayed what the, what the artist had, had, had kind of painted. And the power of the wave dissipated. It never hit ground. Another um, pastor, missionary friend of ours, um, was in uh, Thailand uh, on New Year's and on Christmas Eve, was prompted to um, get the whole community to go up the mountain and have Christmas together and have a big old celebration up on, get them all to kind of like make, make camp up there and spend the three nights up there. And he did everything he could to convince everybody to come up. And the whole community followed the pastor, whether they were believers or not, up onto the mountainside to spend uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day, or the 26th. And uh, that was the Christmas when the tsunami hit that devastated Southeast Asia. But because the Lord had given him a sense to take everyone up for a celebration up on the mountainside, the whole community was saved. Their homes were destroyed, but not a life was lost. That's amazing. So sometimes we think God gives us an idea to throw a party, and it's actually prophetic. We don't know it is because it's us being natural, but there's something supernatural behind it. So let's do this exercise, and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. What I need you to do is get into groups of four. I won't assign you, but just get into groups of four. And this is what we're going to do. Um, three of you are going to line up. And one person is going to stand in front of the three. And each person in turn, each one of the three is going to say this. When I look at you, I see whatever comes to mind. As long as it's encouraging, uh, strengthening, and edifying. So Matt, if you just stand up and illustrate. Um, and so imagine there are another two people here. I would say, Matt, when I look at you, I see humility. All right, because that's the first thing that came to mind. Is that encouraging? Yeah. Because sometimes, uh, you know, we do the exercise where we have our eyes closed and we can open stuff up. But other times, um, it's also good to know that sometimes we can discern things from the Lord and we can discount it because it sounds too, it feels too familiar. It doesn't feel spiritual enough, right? So let's try this out and then we'll feed back. So get into groups of four. If you came with a spouse, uh, you're more than welcome to do the exercise with them or not. Um, sometimes if we know someone really well, it kind of, you know, uh, impacts things. But I uh, get into groups of four. And um, once you're in your groups of four, choose who's going to go first. And the exercise is simply when I look at you, I see. And it may be just a matter of a compliment. When I look at you, I see your hair's lovely. Or when I look at you, I see your face beams. That's it. You know, and it's just getting to the rhythm that we realize that actually the very act, if the, the mother tongue of the Holy Spirit is encouragement, then sometimes just a simple encouraging word can be used by the Lord to be prophetic. Okay, so let's stand up, get into groups of four and let's roll.